Weather is one of the most fascinating topics that humans focus on in their day-to-day -day life. But did we know that weather can be used as forensic data in crimes? Today, we talk about that on the Get Over It podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Get Over It podcast. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. This will be our first episode in the new year. Thank you for joining us on another uh, season or year of great content and great podcast episodes. Before we get into our guest today, just a reminder, you can find this podcast and subscribe if you're really enjoying it. It's the best way to get all of our new episodes on your favorite pod player, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. So take a look there, subscribe, leave us a review. And if you're ever looking to figure out more about how we do it here at Over It, you can go to overit.com and learn more about us in the production studio that we have here. So today, our guest is Howard Altschul, and he is a certified consulting meteorologist, and he is also the founder and CEO of Forensic Weather Consultants. Uh, I'm really excited to have Howard on. I have, uh, like, I'm sure everyone out there has, you know, I have a fascination with the weather. I think the modern uh, day human has become very fascinated by the weather. I, I would imagine it's probably one of the most looked at uh, observe pieces of content information uh, on your phone. You were constantly looking at the weather. I can only imagine what it was like before we didn't we had that available to us. So I'm happy to we're going to pick his brain and we're going to learn about his career and his journey to where he is today. Howard, welcome to the Get Over It podcast. Hey, uh, good morning. Thank you for having me on. It's great, especially the first one of the year. Glad to uh, share the new year with you. So we, we have you on first. But when we're recording this, we have our uh, and we're in the capital district up here in uh, by outside of Albany, right outside in, in Albany, New York. And we have our looks like our first taste of snow coming. So um, maybe apropos. So. Right. That's what we think. Right. That's what they say. It's been it's been knocked down a little bit. My my wife, who's a teacher, you know, uh, more than most, constantly checking the snow forecast, wondering when she's going to have her first snow day. And she started out with, you know, six inches of snow. Now it's down to two to four. So let, before before I ask questions like how and why does it change so fast? Um, can Let's go back, Howard. Tell me how you got into uh, meteorological science. Did you have a fascination with that? And like, just tell me a little bit about yourself and how that how that came about. Yeah, you know, well, the answer is I've had a fascination with meteorology and weather for as long as I could remember. I mean, before I was 10 years old, probably like seven, eight years old, um, I was a weather watcher for uh, Al Roker when he had hair and Willard Scott. <laughs> so it gives you an idea of how long ago that was, a long time ago. But Howard, what um, is a weather watcher? What, what does that mean? So, you know, <clears throat> I grew up uh, in Westfield, New Jersey, and... I was one of those kids that had a, a rain gauge in the backyard that would go in and check out how much rain fell, measured it, call the TV station, uh, call the National Weather Service, report the high and low temperatures, how much snow fell, things like that. So that's a weather watcher. And you see them on TV, um, you know, when, uh, you know, Channel 6 in Albany or Channel 4 in New York, they say, oh, the temperature right now in Gilderland is uh, 25 degrees. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, Scotia, it's 23 degrees. So that's a weather watcher. And, you know, I was I was growing up in New York City metro area. Uh, I was a weather watcher for, you know, meteorologists. Like I said, Al Roker, um, a very, very good friend of mine, Nick Gregory, who, mm -hmm. uh, you know, helped me start the, uh, mm -hmm. the weather club, the meteorology club in high school down in Jersey. Jeez. So the I grew up in started. Rockland County. So I was I, I lived down in that area. So I got those. Uh, I know those guys and the people you're speaking. Oh, yeah. About. Nick, so yeah, Nick yeah. Nick's one of my uh, oldest friends. He's he's, uh, he's awesome. Great men's work, you know, shout out to him. So, okay, so you clearly were into like weather and, and that sort of science, right? Because that that's, you know, that that sounds like somebody that's really in there. So then how do you 
how does that progress? You go to school, right? And then you start to go and, and study that. So tell me the tell me the progression of how how one gets into where you are. Yeah. And, and, and even to back up further, my passion started by watching the snowstorms and lightning storms, thunderstorms outside my window as a little, little kid. Mm -hmm. And that's how it all began. So um, after that, I got admitted to you know a couple of universities, a bunch of universities. But um, one of the most prestigious ones was SUNY Albany, you know, University of New York at Albany. And I uh, got admitted on so what they call the Talented Student Admissions Program. And it was just... Uh, because I was so passionate about meteorology and so passionate about weather, uh, went to, you know, moved up to Albany, uh, got my, uh, you know, bachelor of science degree in meteorology. And, it, you know, it involves lots and lots of math, uh, physics one, two, and three, calculus one, two, three, and four, which is differential equations, and then a lot of other meteorology classes. And the cool thing there was not only did you, well, you had those really hard classes, which were hard, you know, we don't have enough time to talk about all those, but, uh, uh, you know, I was able to get really good forecasting skills and we had forecast, uh, forecasting contests that I won sometimes and we forecast all over the country. So that's where I got my uh, education and background and, you know, brought, the, brought it to the next level from the, the hobbyist to now, you know, degree in meteorologist. So I imagine... I imagine what was going on then when you got out of school and started your career forecasting weather has changed significantly from then to now, right? I imagine it was a lot more, uh, I don't want to use the word math, but you know, it was probably a lot more actual modeling and really uh, forecasting, forecasting. I'm sure now they have computer modeling that does a lot of that for, for them. Tell me, like, I think one of the fascinations with the average day-to-day -day human about weather is how the hell do you predict and forecast weather? Like, and so on, like on a very general, if you could, in a very general way, what do you, is it, is it just a common set of, of parameters that you're constantly analyzing and that's what you use to forecast or is it much more complex than that? Can you give us a little bit of the, when you sit down or you did sit down to forecast, what are you looking at? So I just made a forecast this morning, for instance, and I'll run you through that. Um, I look at you know, what's going on around the country, what the radar is showing, you know, where precipitation is falling, you know, what's the cloud condition like, um, <clears throat> you know, and then we have computer models and we have a lot more computer models than we did, you know, way back when in college where we only had maybe like two or three, you know, now we have, you know, dozens of different computer models and ensembles. So, um, for instance, uh, you know, there's a, a forecast in the near future of a snowstorm mm -hmm. uh, coming up the coast. Um, and one computer model uh, brings it up to Albany with snow of maybe like two to three, four inches. Mm -hmm. And the other models overwhelmingly have maybe a coating, but most likely nothing. And, and it keeps the snow down to the south. So what I do is I look at the consistency of the model runs, you know, that run four times a day. And I try and see which ones have verified the best over the past, you know, recent history, or especially, you know, over the past 24, 48, 72 hours. And, and typically when you have some of the more reliable models and you have a clustering of scenarios and outcomes of the models, they tend to be more believable. So um, this one computer model that brings the snow up to Albany and gives us like three to four inches, um, that also forecasted the snow to reach New York City and New Jersey a few days ago, and it never got that far. Okay. So for instance, my observations were that, you know, it has a north northward bias. Okay. So that storm is probably going to be further south than the model thinks, and that's the outlier. So, you know, for instance, in Albany, 
that model says we're going to have four inches, I'd be surprised if we get a coding, maybe even nothing. Okay, so my wife is not going to, but teacher, school teacher will not be happy to hear that. She probably will not have her first snow day off. So, you know, yeah. I, I think to the, so another thing that um, you hear a lot, but in this day of, 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 of sort of news and politic, it gets, you try to f fight through and understand, you know, I myself, I think a lot of people have noticed a lot of weather change, a lot of severe weather that's happening more and more or or not. Right, Howard? So like, you know, because you only know what you see and I've, news tends to sensationalize a lot of things. So my question to you as someone who knows this really well is, is there is there a, a higher incidence of severe weather over the past five years, 10 years? Um, and, and if so, what what is really going on there? And should we expect that to continue? Well, without a doubt, there's more, the more severe weather, more extremes, um, severe weather, hail, tornadoes, nor'easters, uh, you know, huge coastal storms, hurricanes. Uh, there's no doubt about that. The question is whether it's, you know, entirely uh, global climate change or right. whether it's also just Mother Nature being right. cyclical. Right. Um, I tend to think we have a small part in uh, the overall uh, severity and changes of the climate. Um, I think it's mostly cyclical, right? We went from ice age to the warming and now back to gradual ice age is what we're in now. Um, so, but there is some component of, of climate change that we are directly uh, causing, right? But uh, I don't think it's extreme, uh, you know, as directly related or 100% or us as, for instance, a lot of politicians say. Right. And that's now the hot topic in uh you know, all these Fortune 500 companies, oh, we're turning green, turning green. Great thing, right? Great thing. But, you know, it, it it's not because the weather's, uh, we're causing the weather to be more severe. It's just mostly Mother Nature, but we have, you know, a part in that too. But it's mostly just, I think, natural cycles of, you know, the atmosphere and not just, you know, one year or two years, you know, probably 20, 25, 30 year cycles or more. Mm -hmm. I'm not a climatologist, but, you know, that's my my feeling on it and my sense on it. But undoubtedly, the weather's getting worse. There's more droughts. There's more areas getting flooded. Hurricanes are, are more severe. Um, there's more you know, really bad damaging tornadoes like we've had recently. Uh, things along those lines. You're, you're right on about that. So I, I and that, that's a good that is a good segue into forensic weather consultancies. But let me before I go there, I have a couple other things that I just wanted to ask you. Um, um, you know, I think we feel like a lot of weather is predictable nowadays, right? Like, you know, like if I woke up tomorrow and there was a foot of snow on the ground, that would be quite bizarre in our world today without me knowing about it ahead of time. So oh, yeah. where, where I'm going with this is like, you know, we were, I just read about this crazy snowstorm that happened along I-95 down on uh, on NDC. Mm -hmm. And they called it like this sneak attack storm kind of thing. And like, I'm seeing people trapped on I-95. It looks like apocalyptic. And, I, and I'm wondering like, what is that like? The, so, from from someone who who studies this stuff, th does that happen? Do you get weather events that just <laughs> pop up like that, and you guys or, or your teams just don't see, or is that again part of the news? Like we did know it was happening, it just sort of got out of control. It's it's the news, you know. We knew it was coming, and it's just drivers that think they you know wouldn't have been affected by it or don't pay attention to it, mm -hmm. or we've driven through you know coating of snow before, um, and then you know what happens actually was, uh, you know, was verified, you know, the amount of snow that was forecast and the weather that was forecast. I saw it coming. I mean, all the meteorologists saw it coming. Uh, I was speaking with some folks at the National Weather Service um, at, you know, in the, in the corporate level uh, yesterday. And they said, I can't believe what's going on on I-95. These people are so crazy. How yeah, like, they why would they do that? Right. 
yeah, they, they knew it was coming, but, you know, people go out anyway. They don't think it's, right. know, it's not going to be me. I can drive, you know, 75 miles an hour on my SUV in, you know, three inches of snow while it's pounding snow. I'll be fine. You know, I defy all, you know, laws of physics and, and ice and friction, but, and that's when people get in trouble. Right. So and, from and, a forecasting and, standpoint, we forecasted that perfectly. Not to say there aren't some surprises, right? Um, like when you get a changeover line, like for instance, tomorrow. Um, we have this snow event in the uh, northeast of mid-Atlantic. If that storm tends to go a little bit more north, maybe 50 miles further north, you know, then then our forecast would go from maybe a coating at best to, you know, three, four or five inches of snow. I don't think that'll happen, but, you know, it happens more when there's a changeover from rain to snow, mm-hmm. because if it never changes over to, to, to rain, it could snow and just pile up. It uh, doesn't happen very often, but, you know, once in a blue moon, I've heard of people being wrong with the forecast. But, but so. if that happened, you would know, you would know, right? It's not like, you know, Friday morning, you're going to know that. You would know that ahead of time, right? Like those, well, those it, it could <laughs> well, that's get. that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes, sometimes the computer models, you know, they, they are so off, all of them. And you really don't know until maybe a couple hours before it actually right. happens. And, oh, wow, you know right. what? It doesn't look like this is going to change over to, to rain. It looks like it's going to change over to snow or where we thought it was all rain. You know what? That storm's going a little bit further south and it's going to be colder. So, you know what? It looks like instead of an all rain event, now we have to go right. two to four inches of snow. So it's and that, very, might, that might be only, you know, three, four hours in advance. It's very much like life then. You can only model and predict it as so much as you can. And then, uh, you know, you're going to get unpredictability, <laughs> unpredictability and it's going to happen, right? It's not going to be perfect. Yeah. I guess that's what the definition of a model is, which is probably why you have numerous models and the best you can do is look for consistency in a bunch of different models, right? And I always, uh, I always look at yeah. that when they're forecasting hurricanes. You get all these crazy lines, you know, on the track of a hurricane, and they're all somewhere all over the place. And then, as each day gets closer, the lines converge and converge and converge. And I guess that's that's what we're talking about in consistency of the models, right? That's that's exactly it. And then the more clustering you have of those spaghetti model plots, which are the lines that you're talking about, um, the more likely that that scenario is going to play out. Um, but in the case of a hurricane, they have a mind of their own, right? So I've seen it where they actually are going, you know, moving to the Northwest, moving to the Northwest. Uh, and then all of a sudden, all the models think it's going to continue to the Northwest and then it stops. Right. Right. It stops right before it go. it's supposed to go out to sea and then it actually moves inland and then strikes, you know, yep. a, a Southeastern United States in a certain area. It's happened sometimes. It's not very often. It's very rare that that happens, but, you know, hurricanes have a mind of their own. Um, it's a forecast, you know, it's our best estimate based on experience, which is very important, right? You need, really should have a meteorology background and experience, um, you know, and also use of the models and, and understanding what they mean and, and how they're, how they're run. Um, I like to say probably the closest profession to, you know, forecasting is, um, you know, stock trading where you have models, yeah, right. you have forecasts right. of what you think is going to happen. And then, you know, some fly in the ointment comes in and then, you know, the markets crash. Right. If right. there's some political development or something like that. But, but, ha- but ha- Howard, have you ever just just curious, have you ever uh, flown through? Have you ever been on any of those planes that go through any of those storms? I'm just curious. I was supposed to be when I, I worked on TV, right? I was on TV for about eight and a half years, including up in Albany uh, at NBC. And I was going to go fly into. Gosh, I don't remember the name of the, the storm, uh, but I was, I was scheduled to go on a hurricane hunter you know, fly into um, a category one or two hurricane out of uh, one of the air force bases in uh, Virginia. 
And it was, you know, we were all set. I remember the, the guy's name who was, uh, you know, going to clear me with security and everything. The day before, though, the flight, the flights got canceled and they oh. switched them out of, you know, from Virginia to Biloxi, Mississippi, where the uh, hurricane hunters are based. So I was out of luck. And I'm not a very good flyer in turbulence and thunderstorms because <laughs> I know too I, I know too much about weather. Right, I know. You know. And I know and I know that pilots aren't meteorologists and they don't know, you know, they look right. And you're looking the out the window like, ooh, that's not looking good. <laughs> no, it's like, why would you, you Oh know, my god. I, I always wonder what that would feel months. like. You know, what does that feel like to these people, you know, in those storms, some of the, the big hurricanes of like flying into those category three, four hurricanes, like what does that feel like? It's gotta be oh, it's a, crazy. It's got to it, be super aggressive, severe, right? Severe turbulence. Right. And then severe they just turbulence. all of a sudden they get into the eye and it's just like this incredible calm, right? And it's just, and then they have yeah. to re enter it again and go through it again. <laughs> yeah. We have to go through, you know, 70 to 100 mile an hour or 140 mile an hour winds before you do that. <clears throat> and you try and fly in from the top and then, you know, above the convection or thunderstorms right. and high winds to and drop you try in. And sneak down right into the eye of the storm if you can. So Jeez. the severe turbulence is minimal. But there have been hurricane hunter flights where they've hit, you know, um, huge pockets of turbulence and, you know, and they got thrown up in the air and they, you know, bloody noses and bruises. Yeah. It's happened. Jeez. So, yeah, not I, for me anymore. I mean, like, yeah, good, good I, for them. No I mean, like, we need that. Yeah. Like, it's good service to the to the, to the the science and to the country. But, like, I could never in a million years. Um, and my, la my last question before I get into FWC is when you're on TV doing the weather forecast – there is actually nothing behind you, correct? When you guys are pointing yeah. to the pointing to the map and doing, oh, we have this in the east and it's coming down. There's actually nothing there. That is true, right? Exactly. And you're yeah, looking to the a, side. Like, what are you? It's where are the, you? Where are you getting your read from? Are you looking at something on the side? Like, are you just you just yeah. pointing to air? How do you know what the hell's so going on? We have a TV here on the side, so I can point. You know, here's what's going on over this area, and then a TV here. So look at this, and I'm looking at a TV, but pointing to the monitor, and then also looking straight on, like here's a TV, and I'd be like, all right, you see this thunderstorm, everybody? Look at that, you know, look at that lightning, this thunderstorm, it's going to move off to the west. You know, I'm looking in the But the, you can see, you can see right what now, I so. can see. You can see what I can see at home on the monitor with everything in the back. Yeah. But what's behind but you it is, is a blank screen. Okay, all right. It's a tele, you know, it's a, a chroma key where they plop the images on back of it. So, you know, you're not just guessing, you're actually seeing where you are, okay. you know, and, and pointing and all talking. Right. And See, we're, we're talking to Howard, we're looking under the hood here a little bit. All right, so Howard, I wanna talk about forensic weather consultants because the word forensic, right, implies like criminality, right? It implies some sort of like case and discovering and uncovering. So tell me a little bit about this and how long has this been about? Has this been about for a while? Um, and 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 to then I want you to talk to me about what what you get retained for, you know, what are you guys looking for and what you're doing? It's very fascinating. I started the company Forensic Weather Consultants a little over 22 years ago. And it was while I was working at TV, <clears throat> on TV, I knew that I didn't want to do TV for the rest of my life. Just after September 11th, things got, you know, very different. So um, I was like, you know, we need a different type of uh, career path for me and, and still in meteorology. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so I started Forensic Weather Consultants, opened up the Yellow Pages. You know, I think my first client was, I think, Martin Harding and Mazzotti and mm -hmm. another company down in Poughkeepsie working on like one slip and fall on snow and ice case um, every three months. And from there, it just got busier and busier and busier. So I started, uh, you know, back in 1999 uh, with forensics and we've done, you know, all kinds of cases, worked on about 7,000 click cases so far today to date. Um, 
testified in court 90, I think 97 times or 98 times uh, in different courts, including um, the U.S. Air Force Court Martial Court mm. um, on an Air Force base. Um, and then we've had a lot of other depositions besides that. But <clears throat> the types of cases, you know, run the gamut. I mean, there's so, so many different types of cases It'll blow you away if you if you knew about them. So you're 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 at, you're trying to help ascertain or provide like provide information and data around a, a weather event or some sort of weather related event to some sort of whether it's an uh, like like you said an injury or some sort of uh, crime. Is it a crime? I don't know if you want to call it a crime. Mm -hmm. um, and you're you're not necessarily trying to say it was causal, but you're just trying to provide some evidence and data and context around the event that happened. Is that right? As it relates yeah, to know, the weather. Not, yeah, you know, we don't we, we don't really testify as to causation of damage <clears throat> or causation of an accident, because that's really um, by, you know, by training beyond our scope of expertise as a meteorologist. Um, I can't tell you you know, whether, whether I have a personal belief or opinion or not, I can't tell you professionally whether, you know, baseball sized hail would, you know, cause damage to an asphalt shingle roof, you know, if it was hit by hail. Um, I have my own personal opinions and experience, but professionally, I can't say that. And I won't say that. And probably the judge wouldn't allow me to say that because I don't have the right. training or experience. But you could that. say that there was, in fact, baseball cover like hail that did come and that right. there's just like, okay, and that's really what yeah. you're providing. And like so, so, so one of my examples is, you know, we had a hailstorm in Gilderland, you know, New York, right outside of Albany, <clears throat> and every house in my neighborhood, including ours, got a you know a big check covering. You know, we had baseball sized hail, two point two five inch. All of the houses around here got a check to pay for the roof and some siding because they were you know quite damaged from the hail. There's one uh, one insurance company from one of my neighbors, um, you know, only a couple of houses down. They denied the claim and said there was no hail at all and that it was just wear and tear and it was an old roof. So having already been in the forensic field and writing reports, I told her I'd write a report, you know, and attest to that there was a severe weather. And we wrote this report, showed the radar images, the methodology. I attached the photos that I was actually storm chasing that day for that storm. And, you know, within like a week, they, you know, they, they paid the full amount. They went from zero to like $25,000 after Jeez. they got my report. Jeez. But, but, you know, sometimes people get the weather wrong or they don't want to, you know, they don't want to pay a claim for, a, you know, for a, for a specific reason. You know, maybe it's a two million dollar claim and you know, there are some insurance companies that don't want to pay it, you know, just because it's two million dollars. So, you know, a lot of times people have to fight it. On the flip side, um, there's a lot of fraud out there with hail, hail claims and slip and falls on snow and ice. Right. So um, you could be retained either way, I guess. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Right. To you, it doesn't necessarily yeah, matter, defense, right? It's all about yeah. just providing facts about the weather event as as it is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we were and we get called by both sides of the same case probably like once a month, you know, and we work all over the country and, and all over the world. But um, we were like in Florida, there's um, hail cases where, you know, there was a big hailstorm a year ago that went through Orlando and it dropped, you know, golf ball sized hail. And what happens is you get these um, professional companies that, they go and they sign up, you know, houses and they say, all right, well, uh, you know, you at Hale, we can get you a new roof. Let us work for you and sign the negotiations over to us. And then they do all those houses that were hit by the hail. But then they're like, all right, we're done. Let's we have to expand out. Let's keep it going. And eventually they go to areas where, um, for instance, there were no, the thunderstorm never even went over. 
right? Um, and they say you got golf ball sized hail. So the insurance carriers like, wait a minute, there's no damage. There's no evidence of hail here. They hire us to prove it and show that there's no hail. And then they'll, you know, deny the claim based on that. Um, so that just gives you an idea where, you know, some people, you know, there's some people that don't pay claims when they should. And there's some people that, you know, file insurance claims when they shouldn't just because they want a free roof out of it or, or whatever it might be. But you have a, you mu- you obviously have, it's a very scientific approach, right? You, you, oh, yeah. so like, so for example, like, let's say like in that example with hail, you might not have been there yourself or had cameras there to document the hail, but you can go back to the meter, like the weather reports and find with fairly, I imagine, good accuracy as to where that was falling, right? That That's clearly a, uh, an objective piece of data that you could present. And I guess an, an objectivity in data is something that's hard to argue against because it's not subjective. It's not opinion. It's real information so that really helps in a case to have that sort of data right so is that your approach it's like any other investigation you go back and you look at the data that that's available and you guys run through and see what's there yeah and we have a ton of data that's available um one of the most important things in in hail cases for instance are doppler radar images and we have the archived doppler radar images available and we plot you know uh, each house or each incident location right on the radar image themselves um, <clears throat> those radar images are taken every one to five minutes on average. There's a lot of different products that we can look at from Doppler radar, things like base reflectivity, differential reflectivity, correlation coefficient, stuff you've never heard of. But it tells us if there's uh, if the radar is seeing hail in the atmosphere or if it's just rain. And then we also use a lot of uh, you know, cross-sections, three-dimensional volume scans, surface reports of hail or storm reports. And really, we take all the pieces of evidence, all the all the pieces of the puzzle, and put it together to see what occurred or what we think occurred within a reasonable degree of meteorological certainty. Mm. Now, that's not only applicable to you know hailstorms or tornadoes or wind damage or slip and falls, but you know we've also done uh, murder trials and double homicide trials um, where the really? weather was a factor. Yeah. I mean, is there any example you could give, like not in specifying the case, but like how 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 does weather play into something like that? You know, there were some drug deal cases, for instance, where lighting was an issue, where there was, you know, a police officer allegedly saw, you know, a, uh, a drug mule, for instance, that was smuggling. Mm-hmm. Um, they identified him um, because of the moonlight, for instance. Um, but, th- you know, the moon wasn't out that day. Right. It was. Oh, cloudy. I see. Right. Something like that. Or That's a homicide crazy. I would never think. So you never would. You never would yeah. think that right. like the weather would be able to like come into play and in something like that. That's no, crazy. That's wild. And, and, then, and then homicides, homicide trials. Um, I know two of them were gang gang murders, different, different totally different trials. And, um, you know, there were uh, uh, tracks in the snow that matched the defendant. Right. So one of the things we had to do is determine, OK, when was the last time it snowed? How long had that? How long had it been since any snow accumulated? Because we're able to tie together when those footprints were I see. have been there since. So since what time? And there was just one more piece of the puzzle. Maybe it would be in terms of an alibi or something like that. Right. Like, is it plausible that there were footprints there at that time, being whatever? I see. Yeah. Again, yeah, just providing really... more context and color to the to the investigation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> I've had disturbing ones, you know, where there was physical assaults and they'd say, oh, we want to know if there was, you know, thunder in the area. 
you know, or, or loud thunder that could be mistaken for other noises. Uh, it was disgusting, wow. disgusting stuff like that. And, you know, we got called for that type of case. And, and luckily we never, we didn't get retained on it. Right. They didn't want to go that route, but just, you know, right. And you, you know, have to hear that. That, hey, that just skewed, it just skewed me out. I mean, I'm not saying the guy, you know, the guy's guilty or innocent, but it's just to have even right. just having that the kind fact of defense. That you, right. The fact that you have to, to sort of, yeah. yeah, that's like, wow. So like forensic, so forensic, it really is. Like really forensic, because people think of forensics, they think of like crime scene, but like it's yeah. very related. Yeah, it's very related. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, you just piqued my curiosity with a question that I've always tried to like, I get weird answers to when you look it up. Hail, what is hail? Like what, what is it actually? How can we, <laughs> well, you know, like it's it, it's it, ice formations, but like what was it? Like when when is the proper uh, condition for hail to form? And why don't we see it often? In thunderstorms. And, and really, you need to have a lot of instability in the thunderstorms. You need to have enough of an updraft where the uh, parcel um, rises, the ice crystal. Um, and as it rises, you're all right. So as it rises, there's moisture in the atmosphere, raindrops, other yep. pieces of hail. Yep. So as a, a hailstone, maybe very, very small, maybe the size of a, you know a pin or something, as it starts to you know turn into rain, it freezes as it goes higher up in the atmosphere where the temperature is below freezing. And the further up it goes, the more water it accumulates or the more coalescence there is crashing into other hailstorms or hailstones. So the hail gets bigger. Eventually, it starts to fall down to the ground. Now, if the thunderstorm's strong enough, the, there would be what we call an updraft. So, so it's like updraft is wind coming into up. a thunderstorm, yep. building it up. And as that hail fell, um, if the updraft was strong enough, it would pick the hail back up you know, maybe at four, five, six thousand feet, and then bring it back up into the atmosphere where it had more water to accumulate. On uh, it. And so that it's like a snowball. It's like a snowball getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> exactly. And, bigger. and eventually, eventually, at some point, when the the updrafts, the winds bringing it back up, are not strong enough to support the hail, the weight of the hail, it'll fall to the ground and eventually reach the ground and crash to the ground. So really, the the intensity of an updraft and the severity of a thunderstorm. Um, can be you know proportional to how severe or how large hail is. That's why supercell thunderstorms, you know, usually produce tremendous sized hail, very large hail. But if you get a little thunderstorm, a pop up one in Florida um, that is gone in 15 minutes, that there's not have enough energy and enough possible. draft to pull it. I see, but that is yeah, that so is that is predictable in a, in a sense, right? You can tell the severity and yeah. the strength and power of, of said storm. That's how you could predict the hail. There should, this could have hail associated with this storm, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and even, in, even a day or two in advance, we would know whether it looked like storm, you know, thunderstorms would be severe or non-severe, right? Um, would they be, is there going to be a tornado outbreak in two days from now? Is there going to be a, you know, a very large, you know, large hail event coming? We can see that a couple of days in advance usually, um, but as you get down to, you know, hours before the storm or an hour before it actually hits a location, we would then use like short-term models uh, over the next, you know, 12 hours, but also Doppler radar, where we would track each storm, look at it on those various products on Doppler radar and see whether we see hail in there, how big it is, and then, you know, issue warnings accordingly, mm -hmm. issue severe thunderstorm warnings or tornado warnings, letting people know over the next hour and a half, here's Here's what's coming. Here's what's coming. Um, well, I, I know we could talk about. I can at least I can ask you questions for days on this, but but, but you know we have a, a limited amount of time, and I want to talk to you about the non for profit that you're also involved in, um, Harky's Heroes for Kids. Um, yeah. You know, tell tell me a little bit about that, Howard. How did you? 
where did that come from um, and what is it? And just give us a little background on that. Uh, uh, I'm curious sure. to learn more about that. Yeah, my father, you know, was my uh, was my mentor, my role model growing up, had a great relationship with my family. Um, he had kidney disease and passed away when I was 28 years old in, in the year 2000. Um, he was 61. And, you know, I, I was in the hospital with him when he had his kidney transplant. Um, you know, I was there when he had, you know, kidney failure a couple times or, you know, the threat of rejection and things. So I was very, very involved and tuned into kidney disease. Mm -hmm. um, so he passed away 20, you know, in 2020. Um, I'm sorry, not 2020, in 2000, the year 2000. So it was, we started it 20 years after his, I see. Okay. his passing. Okay. So, um, so he passed in 2000, right? About 20, 21 years ago, uh, almost 22. So in the year 2000, to mark his 20th anniversary, now that I'm getting the dates right, mm -hmm. um, I start, decided to start this uh, nonprofit called Harkey's Heroes for Kids because my father was a clown on the side. He, he was in New York City. He had a job in New York City as a, a headhunter for risk managers. Um, but on the side, uh, as a gag, his brother and sister bought him um, a ticket or, or a subscription to clown school as a joke for his 40th birthday. <laughs> so he went to it and he just loved it. I mean, he loved it. So, you know, at the end of it, he said, like, oh, I'm gonna I love making kids happy, he says. So he started doing clown birthday birthday parties as a clown and a magician <clears throat> and then a Santa Claus and stuff. And that was his side gig. His, his name was Harky the Clown. And, um, you know, in honor of his, you know, in honor of him, on his 20th anniversary, I, I just wanted to do something. We've been, you know, we've been big supporters of the National Kidney Foundation, um, but now I wanted to do something more and uh, help kids because that's what his passion was. He wanted to make kids happy. And sadly, there's so many kids, especially now with COVID, you know, there was kids that didn't have meals. There still are. They don't have food. <clears throat> you know, they rely on the schools. They, you know, there's homeless people. There's a couple of couple kids in Gilderland that are homeless. And I mean, it's, heart, it's heartbreaking. You think of just Gilderland, there's pe you know, people that are homeless and struggling, mm. you know, that's just not right. And um, you can only imagine what it's like in other cities like Schenectady or Albany, right. more population, right. Right. you know, things like that. So, you know, we came together and formed Harkey's Heroes for Kids, which is uh, meant to provide financial support um, for food, for whatever, anything involving kids to make, uh, make their lives easier, get them home, get them, you know, presents during the holidays. If, if their house burns down, um, if they're sick, you know, maybe contribute to a fundraiser. <clears throat> it's still in its very, very infant phases. And, um, you know, we're welcome. We welcome people to, to join our, our committee or uh, our organization or our board of directors. We're trying to do more, uh, more marketing and fundraising so we can get even more involved. And I'd really love to just take this thing and, and blow it up and, and really, really make a difference in kids' lives. Where, where can you know, people learn more about it? Where can people learn more about it, Howard, if they want to? Is there a place they <clears> yeah, can go? Yeah, so they can call our office uh, at Forensic Weather Consultants. The first thing is uh, by phone, 518-862-1800. Or on Facebook, we have a Facebook page called Harkey's Heroes for Kids. Okay. And um, they can reach us at anyone, any, you know, either of those ways. Um, and we'd be happy to welcome them, happy to take donations um, or just have them help us out with the organization. And it's something, you know, I'm very passionate about. 
you know, somebody, you know, there's a lot of people locally in Albany that participate. So um, we're looking to make a difference and, and we started, you know, nicely. Do, do you have, I'm just curious, do you hold any uh, uh, events or do anything uh, like that or sp- like sponsor some sort of events like, you know, uh, food, food drives or things like that? And the reason why I'm asking uh, personally is I have a, a nine-year-old son and um, what I'm trying to do with him more and more is make him uh, understand what he has uh, relative to what other people do not. That's something that I'm really trying to really instill in him. Because uh, you know, when you grow up with things, you tend to only think that that's how the world is. But there's a lot of people yeah. and a lot of kids that don't have. So I, I would love to to bring him around and get him involved with things like your organization that highlight those kids that don't have. So. Um, I don't know if there's if it's just a fundraising operation right now, uh, but if there was any uh, thing that I could possibly get him to see or get him Absolutely. to be involved with, yeah, yeah, you know, right now it's just a fundraising operation, but um, yeah, we'd love to get him involved. You know, I'd say, you know, send me an email. Um, you could reach me at hga at weatherconsultants.com. Obviously, my work email, but you know, I'm the founder of Harkey's Heroes for yeah. Kids. We'll also accept emails for that. And then our plan is to, you know, do these fundraisers, right? Um, do food drives, do different things, not just, you know, get checks and raise money that way, but, right. you know, get the community involved. Get on know? the ground and do things. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So we would welcome you okay. know, all of that. And people could reach me that way and I'll, I'll let them know when okay. we have those events. Okay. And then um, before we sign off here, do you do, um, do you still do weather predictions like personally and put them out somewhere? Are you yeah. on social? Cause I know people like to follow or check it out. Like, do you still do that? Or are you just in the, in I your do. professional? Comp- oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so on Facebook, I have uh, forensic weather consultants, which is my company, you know, okay. we do forensics, but we also provide forecasts and, you know, we're told by a lot of people that we're you know, more accurate than any of the TV people, Okay. you know, and uh, which is, you know, what they say. And I take that as a compliment, but we do forecasts for the, for just the public when there's something big going on, we'll give them our thoughts, whether it's a severe weather event or a snow event or something like that. And we just like to tell it the way it is. There's right. no, there's, there's no, no like, media hype. right. Yep. Yeah. No media hype or anything like that. So we just like to tell it the way it is. This is what we think is going to happen, but this could happen if things change. We'll keep you up to date. People love that. They love the transparency. Um, and we also have corporate clients that we forecast for, you know, large, you know, top 50 corporation in the world that we do hurricane forecasting for each year. Um, so we forecast what areas of the United States, the West Coast, Hawaii, you know, would be affected by uh, hurricane winds or storm surge. And we give them forecasts so they can prepare their, um, their assets and their resources should there be power outages or flooding. All right, and so this is at the uh, Forensic Weather Consultants fa- uh, Facebook page. Is that where they can find that? Yeah, the forecast. Uh, the, yeah, like the just forecast, that kind of stuff. General, like, yeah, they can go yeah, there. Yeah, Forensic Weather Consultants. They can just search that on Facebook and, you know, they'll find it. We have about, I think we have about 16,000 followers or something like that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, this was a lot of fun, Howard. I, I learned some things. Um, I, I'm sure the listeners do. And also to learn about the cause that, uh, for kids is, of course, like, you know, an, an excellent thing. And I love to see 
that, you know, you're trying to carry that on, something that means a lot to you yeah. in your life, um, trying to really continue that. So I urge anyone that has a, a shared passion with children and things like that to to look into that and give you a call or, or an email to see how they can help out. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. And um, I hope that uh, for my for my wife's sake, you will have a six-inch storm on Friday and not, not just a dusting of snow. But uh, thank, thanks, Howard. I really, really <laughs> appreciate it, man. Thank you.